Welcome to the e-commerce badassery podcast, the place for scrappy female entrepreneurs who want to learn actionable steps and strategies to grow the traffic, sales, and profit in your e-commerce business. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster, a 20-year retail veteran who spent three years as the only employee of a seven-figure online store. That shit was crazy. I know exactly how it feels to do all the things, and I'm sharing everything I learned the hard way so you don't have to. I may have started this business by accident, but supporting badass bosses like you lights me the fuck up, and I am so stoked to see you grow. Are you ready, babe? Let's roll. Welcome back to the e-commerce badassery podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster. I am super excited for today's episode and my guest, Josh Boone. Josh is a results-driven business expert with more than 15 years of marketing and leadership experience in the B2B and B2C industries. Previously, Josh was a co-founder and COO of Catapult Creative, an award-winning digital agency in Dayton, Ohio. He currently is the founder and CEO of Pure Web Results, often called the anti-agency, which, by the way, is why I wanted to have him as a guest on the show. We totally connected over our mutual disdain for the way most consultants operate and how we do things differently when working with clients. His consultancy delivers an innovative, holistic marketing strategy that simultaneously strengthens in-house marketing teams from the inside and fortifies more consistent revenue streams. He loves tea, traveling, and prefers whiskey over beer. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. Hey, awesome to be here. So when Josh and I were finalizing what this episode was going to be about, we ran through a few different topics that he likes to focus on with his clients. And when he started talking about optimizing for the life you want, it just immediately hit me. And I was like, that's what we need to discuss. Now, I know you're all used to hearing tactical and actionable advice that you can implement in your business. And we will definitely get there too. Don't worry. So Josh, tell me why this topic is so important to you. Well, I mean, it's, I think it's important for two reasons for me personally is like, it's something that I've lived through and it's something that I struggled with quite a lot. And I mean, honestly, still do to some degree, that's the life of an entrepreneur is always trying to find the balance. And I think the second thing is, is working with, you know, hundreds of different businesses over the years, all different types of industries, seeing just these reoccurring kind of structural and cultural issues within these organizations and seeing like a lot of times when I come in with these teams, like I'm always the outsider, like the consultant or the agency or whatever, it doesn't matter. All the various, you know, David Bowie characters have, have kind of existed as you know, my life. I'll come in and everyone's kind of, you know, a little skeptical usually, but then they'll start to open up. And sometimes it's kind of unfortunate, but I'm one of the only people they feel like they can actually open up to because I'm kind of an outsider and that creates a distance at first, but then it's actually a benefit. And people will tell me a lot and it's really heartbreaking a lot of the time how much people struggle and how like people stay at a lot of these companies because they believe in the mission, they believe in the goal or they like, you know, whatever it is that they do, but they feel demoralized. And that goes, you know, down to customer service and the development team and copywriters and whatever, all the way up to the founders themselves. Sometimes these founders might get five, six, seven, eight years into a business and it's like the business is running them rather than them running the business. And sometimes that's of their own doing. Other times you've got 
outside pressure like VC influence and stuff, it gets very insidious. And uh, I'm an empath. I'm also kind of an optimizer. Like (laughs) my background's in SEO. I've always been the person that just like goes down a billion different rabbit holes. It's like, what's the best thing? You know, what's the best Mexican, you know, little hole in the wall Mexican restaurant? What's, what's this? What's that? I'm always trying to find the best things. And when I work with these teams, I'm just like, man, there is so, it doesn't have to be this way. So you mentioned you yourself struggled through it. So I definitely want to talk more about your experience working with these people and what they really open up to you about. But if you have a story, I want to hear that story too. (laughs) I got stories. (laughs) Uh, um, I kind of stumbled into all this marketing stuff. I, I originally wanted to be a filmmaker, actually, which is something I don't really talk about a lot. But I mean, I'm a creative. I grew up, I've always been creative, always been really weird. And I kind of wanted to be a filmmaker. But I like to draw and do a bunch of other stuff. And I ended up getting into web design when I was about 13 or so. My aunt was a software engineer. So like I always kind of been on computers and when I was really, really young. And I just kind of started getting into early version of Photoshop, messing around and then building websites. But my, my dad has a small business. He's, they grew up in the tree industry. So I'm like, I'm going to build him a website. So I build him a website and then I'm like, you know, okay, well, how do I get people to this website? I started researching SEO back then. It's like the wild, wild west. You just throw some keywords up. I mean, again, it's a tree service in Dayton, Ohio. Not a lot of small businesses around here had websites at all, period. Even the huge regional big tree industries around here didn't even have a website around the time. So it was really easy to show up. And and he was showing up and he was getting a lot of calls. And like I was there, I could see the phone ringing and it was insane. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of power in this. So, you know, I went from that and then I started building my own websites. And then I'm like, okay, well, this is costing me money. How do I make money off these websites? So I started getting into affiliate marketing. I started getting into e-com and all this other stuff. Fast forward, I did that for many years. I had a network of like affiliate sites. And I got, as, as is tradition with me, I'm kind of like a three, four-year person and I get bored with stuff. And I'm like, all right, let's do something else. You know, again, the David Bowie characters, like, okay, this is, this is done. I could keep doing this. It's going well, but ah, I want a new problem. So I'm like, I kind of want to work with more of those small businesses again. So then I started an agency in Cincinnati for about three to four months, I worked for an agency because I wanted to see what it was like to work with people that I thought would be the professionals, you know, the people that would know what they're doing. And, you know, I was just figuring this out. I was just a kid figuring it out on my own or whatever. And I very quickly realized, like, they don't know what they're doing either. They were selling SEO services and like internet marketing packages and doing nothing. Literally just taking their money and doing and this is nothing. why, sorry, <laughs> but agencies and consultants suck. Okay. Sorry. It it can. And the thing is, is like, there are some amazing, we can get into it later. There are some amazing people that truly mean well, that run agencies and consultancies, but it's also an issue of the model. It kind of incentivizes a lot of unethical practices, whether intended or not. But anyway, I saw everything and what not to do. It was like Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross, like I got to get the leads and they're just dialing for dollars and just, it was terrible. So I got out of there real quick and, you know, my dad's just like, dude, why don't you start your own? You know how to do it. And I'm like, yeah, you got a good point. <laughs> so I started an agency, uh, did that for about three years or so and started feeling like I kind of, A, I wanted to travel and I was getting a lot of, you know, I was like showing up for like Dayton SEO services and stuff like that. So I had a lot of local businesses, but I felt like I needed to have a local presence. So I'm like, I kind of want to find somebody locally that can kind of be the local face 
I could travel. Also felt like I was bottlenecked. And I needed partners. And it's just mutual friends. Funny enough, the week or two that I started being like, I need to start meeting local agencies, local teams, local other experts or whatever. Through mutual friends, I found out that this group of young 20-something year old creatives were starting their own thing. And I got connected with them. We started talking. And next thing I know, like we're just hitting it off right away. We started working together. And it was like the social network, you know, like the Trent Resurrects <laughs> Ross soundtracks going, you know, it's just like pounding. And like, it was just explosion. Like the business just took off. It was just like everything aligned and it was really, really cool and empowering. And it was awesome. But also there was kind of, you know, looking back in retrospect, there was a lot of issues that I was kind of suppressing by just like grow, 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 you know, scale, scale, scale. I was working all the time, like hundred plus hour weeks. I lived and breathed and died the business and I had a blast doing it and it was really fun. But then once we started growing and we had a team of like eight to 10 people or so about at that point, and we started having all these clients and we started having these huge contracts and all everything, it really started taking a toll on me. I, I got an ulcer. I weighed like a hundred pounds. <laughs> like I, I looked like 1970s David Bowie, just like all like <laughs> cracked out on uh, just doing Coke day. You know, that's what I looked like. It was terrible. Like I just became kind of a hollow show on myself. And it was weird because like on the surface, everyone's like, hey, you're 22, 23. You guys are doing really well. You're working on these, all these cool things. And it was weird. It was that weird period where it was like the social network, all this other stuff, Facebook was blowing up. It, there was this, this kind of thing like, oh, you young kids are doing things in a weird way that that we don't understand and it seems to be working. So a lot of the older people around weren't really like saying you shouldn't be doing that because they didn't understand it. So my story basically was just like, it's the same story of a lot of founders, you know, things just blow up and they morph into something that you didn't really intend for it to happen. And because I never really asked myself, like, what am I optimizing for? It was just grow, 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 grow. Because honestly, I was just kind of filling a hole. I didn't really have like a purpose or a mission in life. So the business kind of became that. And because of that, it really consumed me, you know, at this point having the, you know, if I look at the two businesses, which were basically one, like they effectively just merged. Like I was like five years in at that point. And I just completely didn't even know why I was doing it anymore. It just became this thing where I felt kind of trapped and like I got lucky. Most startups fail. So I was just like, we got a really good thing here. And again, I'm an early 20-something-year-old kid. I'm just like, that kind of imposter syndrome came in. Like, I don't know if I could do this again. Like, was this like just luck? Or like, could I do this again? Like, all those things started coming in. And then I had the issues of identity. Like, who am I supposed to be as a person? I never really had that period where most people, when they go to college and they kind of just get to figure out who they are and experiment when there's really not a lot outside of just, you know, grades and whatever else, there's not a lot of responsibility. I never had that. So like, I didn't really have that period where I got to kind of figure out who I was. So like, I was just like, who am I supposed to be as a leader? Who am I supposed to be as a business owner? It, it all morphed together and it got really weird. And it all kind of came together to a point where there was some loss uh, in my life. And I started thinking just kind of existentially. And uh, it's funny enough, it was David Bowie that actually like his death actually was the thing that kind of was the final straw for me because here he was, he had cancer. You know, I don't think he knew it was terminal at that point, but I mean, once you get cancer and you're 69 years old, like you kind of start thinking like, you know, this could be it. And he decided to write that last album, Black Star, which I think is the best thing he's ever done personally, just my opinion. And I'm just like, man, that guy 
it was just beautiful. He's like, I never got to do a musical. He tried to do a musical in the seventies, never got to do a musical. And then he decided I'm going to do this musical for me. And then I'm going to write this album and I'm going to put it out in the world. My death is going to be art. It was amazing. And so I'm looking at that, like, what would I do if I just had one year left to live? What would I do? Would I be doing what I'm doing right now? And the answer was no, not at all. I'm like, I want to travel. I want to have my weird Anthony Bourdain like adventure. I uh, uh, love him and miss him dearly. Yeah. And he actually, yeah. the reason why I changed my life again. But yeah, so all that kind of came together. I took a weekend and I just got away. I went to some small town on Lake Michigan. I'd never heard of. And it was just this little kind of like tourist slash port town. And I just kind of randomly looked on a map. And I was just like, what is like on the lake, but seems like it has a couple bars and restaurants because a lot of them are just little communities. And I'm like, okay, I'll go here. And I went there and there was this really cool beach. It was actually closest I've seen to the actual ocean beach, like on the Great Lakes. It was crazy, like white sand. It was beautiful. And so I'm there. I just drove like four hours up north, took a back roads the entire time. And it was just kind of like the entire time was almost like all the problems started fading away. And then I get to this place and I just kind of find myself on this beach. And there was this weird like rock path that went like a quarter of a mile out into the lake. And it was really sketchy. I mean, just giant boulders. And like, it was just, I mean, if you fell, you're going straight in and like definitely could have like slipped and like broke your neck or something. I don't know. I don't even know how. Yeah. And you're all alone and nobody will find you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I I like that kind of adventure. And at that point, I didn't care, to be honest with you. So I went out there and I ended up spending like an entire day out there. I got super sunburned. I just didn't even care. And I'm just laying out like a quarter mile into the lake, completely surrounded by just the waves and stuff. And I'm just sitting there just listening to the podcast and like listening to music. And I'm just like, I felt for the first time in years, like I could breathe. And I was like, this is amazing. And then I'm like, what am I doing? I feel for the first time, like I don't have all this weight on me. And I'm like, I'm running my own business so I can just do whatever I want. I don't want to do this anymore. And then I'm like, this would be awesome if this was just, because I don't know anybody in this town. There's no responsibility. In my hometown, like, there's a Rust Belt town. It was starting to come back. Change was happening right when our business was taking off. And so the downtown community was really tight-knit. Anywhere I went, I met people I knew. And it was crazy. So I just felt like I couldn't get away. And everywhere I went, like I felt like I didn't, again, like that imposter syndrome slash like identity issue. Like, I don't know like who I'm supposed to be. Am I supposed to be a business owner? Am I supposed to be me? What am I even? I didn't even know. And in this town, I didn't know anybody. I could just be present. And I was just like, this is amazing. And I'm like, I don't know what it is, but a year from now, I want to be having this experience somewhere weird and somewhere random. I don't know where it is, but I don't want to have this business or I don't want to have this whatever. I don't want to be just doing something else. And so I came back and I'm like, all right, how do I figure this out? You know, and it was almost just like I'm starting a new business in a way. Like I was just, I approached like the, all the, the strategy and stuff that I applied for the clients and for ourselves. I just applied to my life. And that's something that like just never even hit me before. You know, I mean, Tim Ferriss talks about this like lifestyle design and a lot of other people as as well. It's the same thing. I just really never did that because I felt like, oh, well, this is the natural, you know, this is iteration. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I got so excited by just the next thing. I was chasing that kind of high of the next accomplishment, the next thing. I never really asked myself why. 
And so fast forward, basically a year later, I had gotten rid of just about everything I owned. I exited the business, sold my portion of it, researched RVs, bought an RV, and basically went on the road. And I was, you know, a year later, January 2017. Yeah. So this is 2016 when January 2016 when I decided I needed to, you know, GTFO. And then January 2017, I'm down in New Orleans visiting a friend and I stayed through Mardi Gras. And it was, you couldn't symbolically like have a better place to be during when I'm like, okay, I did it. I did it. I got out and I felt alive in a way that I never had before. And I'm like, okay, there's a shelf life on this lifestyle. I kind of always knew that, but I'm like, whatever it is from now on, like, I'm going to ask myself every January 10th, every year, that's like my death. And I don't mean that to be morbid, but it's just like, I ask myself existentially, like if I got diagnosed with cancer or something, and like, I knew I only had a year left to live, what would I do? And obviously, like, you can't take that to the extreme. Like, I I love all you guys. But like, I'm just like, okay, would I feel satisfied with this, though? Would I feel like if I suddenly got hit by a car or something and like I looked back when the last year of my life, okay, was I happy with what I was doing because I was living, doing what I felt like I needed to do? I wanted to make sure that I didn't have any regrets. I wanted to make sure that I was living in alignment with myself. And that's what I've done every year. And it's been quite amazing. I love that because, you know, when I started this business, I started it by accident. I had those first few clients. I thought I was going to take it in a particular direction. And I consider myself very lucky that I figured it out so fast that like, okay, that's not what I want this business to look like. And I was able to pivot, but it doesn't work that way for everyone, right? You get so wrapped up in the day-to-day in hitting that next revenue mark And sometimes shit just happens fast and you just keep rolling with the punches. And then one day you look around and you're like, wait, I haven't seen my family. I haven't gone to brunch with my friends. I haven't taken a vacation. My kids forgot what I look like. Right. And that's not why you got into business for yourself. You got into business for yourself so that you would have more freedom and then your business ends up running you instead of you running it. And I imagine, obviously, this is so important to you and you see this happen in these companies that you work with. So like, what is the first step that you take with them? How do you approach the concept with them? Yeah, I mean, it really kind of depends. The way that it's happened is kind of been somewhat by intent, somewhat by accident. So like when I went on the road, you know, I just decided, hey, I'm going to take like two years off, basically uh, a year or two, and I'm just going to kind of chill. But when I was on the road, I did take on a handful of consulting gigs, uh, partially because I wanted to work with, you know, so I had people that got CMO positions or, or they was starting their own businesses. So I wanted to, you know, help them out and do whatever. But also, I kind of wanted to test what it would be like, because I thought like the consulting model was probably more aligned with what I wanted to do. So I kind of wanted to test that, and I really enjoyed it. So when I I decided like, hey, I kind of want to like have a mission, I kind of want to get back and I want to start another business again, basically, or restart the business, depending on how you look at it. It was more looking at kind of how I was saying in the beginning, like working with these teams and helping them fix structural issues. And the excuse to do that, I guess, like the Trojan horse was like, we're going to have this be extremely profitable. I'm going to help you get your marketing systems like so on point. 
and it's going to be kind of like a growth engine, which is the way I used to describe it. But I feel like that's a term that's just like overused now in the VC space. But that was kind of the Trojan horse. And then the real goal was to get a more holistic kind of uh, structure for these businesses where these teams could work collaboratively and just have a better life. And what ended up happening, though, is as I was doing that, it became really apparent that like the founders really lacked guidance themselves a lot of the time and an outside perspective because a lot of these founders, like they're in echo chambers, all their friends and their family, like they either don't understand what they do because they're not entrepreneurs or they are entrepreneurs and all of them are just like, go, 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 scale, scale, scale. I mean, like you're kind of in that area out in California, like, you know how it is, like it gets really crazy. So I often feel like being here in Ohio is like such a benefit because like I'm kind of removed from the crazy busyness of a lot of ways of the New York or the LA's or, or wherever else. And so it's just like, people were just like, oh, we're going to do this thing. And I'm just like, why? <laughs> you know, because I just go outside and it's just like woods and it's peaceful and they go outside and it's just like craziness and people honking horns and, and whatever else. And like, it's just, it's a temperature change. So I always imagine Dan Carlin, a hardcore history, like he's just in like Eugene, Oregon. And he's just like this dude who's just kind of like watching the world from afar and just being like, you people are crazy. And just kind of commenting on like how society works and history and all this other stuff. He has a distance. And that's kind of how I feel a lot of the time being here in Ohio and like being kind of an outsider and having this experience. So what that equates to is I'm talking with these founders and I'm talking to them about strategy and all this other stuff. And they just start getting into, well, we want to hit this KP, like, we want to hit this OKR, we want to do this and that. I'm just like, but, but why? And they're like, oh, okay, well, we're thinking about doing our next round, you know, in the next like, you know, six months. So like, it would be good to have this, this and this metric. And I'm just like, why? And they're like, oh, okay, well, the VCs are going to want to see that. I'm like, no, 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 you misunderstand. We're going back a layer. Why do you want to raise another round? And sometimes they have a very good reason for it. You know, like it's just logistics. Like they want to upgrade capabilities. They want to do this and that, and it'll help them do this. Cool. Other times it's like, they just want to scale faster. And I'm like, why? And that's when they start kind of opening up. And that's why I say it was kind of unexpected in a way. I didn't really expect to kind of be almost like a business therapist in a way. I didn't really expect to be kind of like an advisor in that way. Like, I feel like there's a difference between being a consultant and an advisor. They could definitely be used interchangeably. But for me personally, like I see a consultant as someone who comes in and is like, okay, what's your strategy? kind of like a Tyrion Lannister, kind of like, I'm going to sit here and just look at your strategy and what are you going to do? But then you have an advisor who's like more personally integrated and like, you know, kind of having that more personal relationship. And it's like, I feel like I kind of do a little bit of both. I expected to do much more of the consulting, but I ended up increasingly seeing the need to do the advising because these founders often just kind of feel alone. And I understand. I felt like an alien my entire life. It's one of the reasons why like I, have to have my own business. I just can't work for somebody else because it's just like, I don't get why they do what they do a lot of the time. And that's how a lot of these founders are. And so they like to march to the beat of their own drum, but most people aren't wired that way. And it's not that they're better because honestly, a lot of times these founders kind of secretly wish they could just kind of have a normal life, but they're just wired differently. And like, I understand that. So a lot of the times yeah, it almost becomes like a personal conversation because they don't ask themselves the why, they start doing these random acts of improvement and the random acts of improvement for themselves, basically. And that ends up translating to the business and the mission. And that ends up going down to the team 
And then you get all this fragmentation and that's when people start hating their lives and start hating. They just start being like, I don't want to work here anymore. And it just kind of goes from there. To answer your original question, like how it starts is usually the Trojan horse is someone's like, oh, hey, you need help with SEO or hey, you need help with your marketing. Like you should talk to Josh and you know his team. And then we start talking to him about, okay, well, what are your goals? And then I start talking to them about the strategy about how to get everything in alignment through performance marketing or you know branding and positioning and all this other stuff. And as you start having the conversation about what is your brand truly, what are the assumptions about your brand, your customers, how can we test that? That's where you start getting into more of the tactical stuff. But through having that conversation, that's kind of what led me down this path of seeing the need for this is as you start talking about branding and the why from a branding perspective, the founders start thinking about it themselves for their life. Like, why am I even doing what I'm doing? And it starts coming out more and more and more. And then that's when you start having those conversations. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times when like, you know, pre-COVID or whatever, like I'd fly out and be with a client and we'd be getting drinks. And sometimes it might be just two of us and we're talking about the branding and all the, the, the why and all this other stuff. And then you get another drink in and you start talking about why they started the business to begin with. You get another drink in, they start talking about <laughs> why they're doing what they're doing now. And then you get one drink in and they're like, so what made you travel? What made you leave your business? I'm like, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. And then we start getting into the real space. You know, we start getting into the actual core of it all is a lot of times like they just kind of feel unfulfilled and they don't really want to say that because there's no real benefit in admitting that, unfortunately. We don't champion vulnerability or authenticity. We do when it's the Joe Rogans of the world because that's how he makes his money. But when you're a brand owner, like unless you have already made it, where you're like a Tim Ferriss or something where like you have more money than you're ever going to need, okay, then you could be vulnerable and talk about stuff. But if you're just doing the day-to-day and you're a startup founder and you already have this imposter syndrome, people don't feel like they can open up and it causes a lot of repression. And I guess that's one of the reasons why I'm so vulnerable, like doing, having these kind of conversations is because I want to try and help change that and make it so that we can all be more honest with ourselves. Yeah. And even, you know, when I work with clients and, you know, sometimes I'm just setting up their email marketing and sometimes it's more a high level holistic view of their business. And I'm always asking them, where do you want to end up? And let's reverse engineer how to get there because we can talk all the strategies and the tactics and the things that you can do. But if it's not ultimately creating the business that you want or you envisioned, then it's not the right things for your business. And so we kind of have to figure out where you want to go first. So I love that you're talking about it. And it's why I wanted to have the conversation because I think we see people from the outside and we think, wow, like they have it all. They must be so fucking happy. And a lot of times they're fucking miserable and they have to like run away from their business and travel for a year, which I mean, I would love to do that. (laughs) I don't think I'd last in an RV for that long, but it's hard. uh, (laughs) It's very, very hard. That's, I thought I was going to end up like blogging and like doing like the Instagram thing because I wanted to be more authentic about it. That's the thing that so compelled me with Bourdain is he was so, so honest. Like I remember hearing his cinematographer talk about his strategy for even all the way back to a cook's tour 
which was like the first like precursor he did on the, the even before no reservations, like early, early, like 2002 or something like that. He had a rule where no reshoots ever. Like everything has to be one take. You're never going to see him like walk into a restaurant with like a stationary shot unless like somebody just happens to be there with a steady cam. You're never going to see him like going in the back and getting introduced with a chef unless it was like steady cam. They're walking. You're never going to see a setup shot. He's like, because he didn't want to create that artificial kind of boundary. And I see that so much with social media, both in entrepreneur space and also like in the travel, like whatever space, the whole thing where it's like everyone's just fake. And so, I ended up just like not really doing a lot of that at all because I just realized it was a distraction. So I just spent most of those two years just basically doing whatever I wanted to do. And like I did a lot of uh, Snapchat and then eventually like Instagram stories because I kind of liked that because it was just like people that were in my life could see what I was doing and be like, hey, he's not dead. (laughs) And I could share the adventures. And I saved most of that stuff for myself if I ever wanted to do something with it. But I felt like that was a lot more authentic because there was no gamification. There was no like, it was just the people that already knew me. And that to me was really cool. I liked that. But I met a lot of people that were travelers that, you know, did the whole like, you know, hashtag, you know, RV van life or whatever. And I'd meet up with them, particularly in New Orleans, because that was such a hotbed for travelers. And man, a lot of those people are just so fake. And I'm like, where have you been? They're like, oh, I've been to 30 countries. And I'm like, wow, you must have so many stories. And they're like, yeah, I just came from France. And I'm like, what did you do there? And I'm like, did you go to some you know, cool, like rural little town? Or did you do this? You do that? I'm like, oh, no, I went to France. I went to Paris. I went to the Eiffel Tower. I did this. I did that. And I was just like, so you just basically hit all the Instagram where every place has got your photos. Right. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, oh my God. That's like the <laughs> worst way to experience another country and culture. I've always said, like, I want to experience the world through food and local people. And that authenticity, that is what people are craving. So for you e-com entrepreneurs who are or are not putting your face on social media, just be you because you are the thing that is different and the thing that people are going to connect to and the thing that everyone wants so badly right now because we are just sick and fucking tired of all the fake and all the staged moments. Oh my God, I could talk about that all day. (laughs) One way that that actually can be actionable and really sincere is I've been talking with a lot of my clients recently about Reddit. I've been on Reddit well over a decade, basically since whenever the big dig exodus was when they released it and everybody was like, we're done with this. So most people don't understand Reddit and they kind of try to avoid it because they just see the pitchforks come out and they just see brands getting like eviscerated on there. And honestly, like justifiably so like you can't go on there and just try and selflessly promote like they will tear you apart. But if you go on there and you're authentic, they will love you. There's so many celebrities and brands have gone on there that nobody really gave a shit about. And then they go on there and they're like, they're actually authentically answering questions. And people are like, I love you. And they start championing them. And what happens is that you start seeing way more articles, way more stories about those people on Reddit. Cause people are like, Oh yeah. Like Patrick Stewart, love that guy or whatever. I mean, everybody loves Patrick Stewart, but you see some brand that goes on there and like everybody just starts loving them because they're like, okay, we co-sign you, you know, you're cool. You're one of the cool brands or whatever. And a really easy way of going about that, you know, one of my clients, like they make hand 
crafted, beautifully made, everything sourced in the America, 100% was sourced, made, manufactured, everything in America, done by hand. Some of it's by machine, but even the machines are you know, operated by them in the house, whatever. I mean, it's all just artisan and beautiful. And they have all these designers, product designers, nothing's outsourced. And I'm like, you should go on there and go on like product design or woodworking or whatever, or all these things and just start telling people about like, your products and what your design is like how you go about it and actually having your designers go on there and communicate and directly engage with the community. So that's one step. And then the second step is you actually could use Reddit for product design and development. You could just say, Hey, we looked through all the various subreddits and like, we found that like, this is some of the biggest issues that you guys have with these kind of products. We want to make one. Here's what we're thinking. Tear this apart. What can we do better? Or what are the biggest things that you have? And then they're like, huh, all right. And then they'll start communicating. They'll start like engaging. And then from there, you can come back and say, hey, we got kind of a prototype. This is based on your guys' feedback. You link back to the previous thread and you're like, hey, this is what we're thinking based on your guys' feedback and what we're doing. What do you guys think? And then you, now you start having this dialogue. And then when you have the product, you're like, hey, we're going to give you guys a massive discount because you helped us. And then you link back to these previous two threads. And people were like, okay, you're not just trying to spam me. Like there's a story. The moderators now know of your brand. They've seen it. You built this relationship over like, you know, six months or something like that. And the people that are regulars on there remember your brand. So they're going to be like, okay, this is cool. You're building off of that and you've earned that right to be able to do it. And you say, Hey, we're going to give you like a 50% off massive discount. We usually don't do this. We're basically doing this because if you guys helped us develop this and this is a thank you, you know, it's only going to be available for a certain amount of time, however, that's just one idea. You could take that in a billion different directions. And then when it launches, you know, you can say, Hey, like, blah, blah, we're thinking about the next version. What should we do? And the next thing you know, like you now are a part of this community. Nootropics Depot does that are nootropics, which is like supplements. Uh, I'm, I'm huge into optimizing myself and my brain or whatever. So think like, you know, Joe Rogan with the alpha brain and all that other stuff. Like it's kind of in the vein of that. Nootropics Depot, I have no affiliation with them whatsoever, but I just love their brand and how the founder on there is so ridiculously transparent and honest where he'll just talk shit about all the brands because he's just like, they're terrible. He's like, we will buy their products and we'll do our own lab testing. And we even do third-party lab testing. And a lot of these supplements don't even have what they're saying that they have. So he is pissed off as a consumer and as someone in the industry, much like how you and I are pissed off about how agencies are screwing people over. Like that's the same way he feels. And the thing is, is like, I trust that guy. I've read for like two years now. And I'm like, that guy is so honest. But I don't 100% know. Maybe he could be making all this stuff up. Highly doubt it. There's just too much built-in trust there that I've had. So it's just like, I don't trust any of the other brands now because they're just not as transparent as that dude is with his company. And he's so authentic and he talks about his own struggles with the industry and running an e-commerce business. And there's so many things that I didn't even consider about all the legalities. He's like, I'm always fighting a legal battle, either with patents, defending them, or going after other businesses that are like doing really deceitful stuff. And that's like hurting the industry and our business. He's like, so like, there's like so many things going on. He's like, there's so many nuances that you just guys just don't even understand. And he's sharing all that. And I love it. And so it's just like, I buy every single supplement that I order. If they have it, I order it through them. I think it's the best quality and I think it's the best paying for the buck. Uh, and it sounds like a commercial for them, but like I'm just using <laughs> them as an example because you can do that. Yes, you, 
Yes. If you can show up that way and you're creating super fans like you are for this company that you probably talk about them any chance you get. And another great example of Reddit, his name is escaping me right now, but the founder of Beard Brand, when he started his company, he started on Reddit. And what he did is shared his journey of creating this brand and these products and all of that. And people ate that shit up, ate that shit up. And I think what's so cool too about Reddit is For people who aren't familiar with it, you have all these subreddits that are on specific topics. So it's literally your ideal customer all in one place. Like when you can narrow down who you're talking to, they're already there corralled for you. You just have to show up. Like you don't have to search for them versus trying to use the right hashtags on Instagram so that the right people find you. Like they're already in a group. But like Josh was saying, You either are a Redditor or you're not, and you can't just pop up and say, hey, buy my stuff because you will get your fucking ass handed to you. So you have to really show up authentically and be part of the conversation. And that's what you should be doing in your marketing anyway. Let's be real. It's 2020, so... Absolutely. One of the things that you mentioned earlier, the things we're definitely diving into is you were saying like a lot of people are just like, oh, you know, they've arrived, they've made it, everything's great, everything's wonderful. And it's just like, you know, like there was a, I haven't watched it yet, but based on like what everyone said, like the Michael Jordan documentary talking about how like everyone's like, oh, it's Michael Jordan. Everybody loves him. He's, you know, whatever. Dude sounds like he is tormented. Like it, he, he sounds like he just, everything has to win. Everything has to be winning. Everything he has to be best. Everything. It's this compulsion that just is crazy. That's how a lot of the top performers are. And like, they're so codependent on external validation. Like they are miserable. And like, I've dealt with that a lot in my life. It hasn't really been so much external validation. It's been more like my own sort of sense of purpose and meaning and whatever. And I was chasing that for so long and I'm ADHD as hell. Just got off Adderall a couple, about a month or two ago. And I've been on it for like eight years. Honestly, personally, I might give medical advice, but it's one of the better things that I've done because it just made me really prone to being like, next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing. It causes this like chain reaction thing is the, you can have great ideas. A lot of entrepreneurs have amazing ideas. And it's not that the ideas are bad. It's just like, should you actually be putting effort into that right now? And even though it seems like the next iteration, the next good thing, it could actually be next thing, next thing, next thing. It feels like you're going up, like you're like you're getting closer to like some sort of achievement or some sort of like ladder almost, and you're going to arrive somewhere. But it actually could just be going horizontally. Like it could be taking you in a different direction that's actually deviating from where you really should be. There's just, there's a lot there. You know, I mean, I Bourdain was the reason that actually I got off the road. Bowie was kind of the aspiration. Like he was kind of like the high mark of like, wow, this is a guy who struggled a lot with alienation and purpose and everything his whole life. And then at the end, he was, he had a stroke or heart attack. I forget, like early 2000s when he was touring. And he's just like, okay, I can't keep doing this. And he basically effectively just became a stay at home dad. He retired. He just became a stay at home dad for like a decade. And until those last two albums where he's just like, okay, you know, I want to do this for me. 
You know, like I'm not going to do interviews. I'm not going to tour. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to do it on my terms until then though. He's basically just stay home dad, just chilling in New York, doing whatever. Didn't feel like he had to owe anybody anything. And I look at that and like the way that he ran, like that's a high mark as much as I can see from the outside. I don't know him, but like, that's like self-actualization. I saw how he struggled and I, I saw so much of myself in Bowie. And I'm like, that is, if you have an Obi-Wan kind of force ghost mentor, like I was looking at that as the goalpost. And Bourdain was kind of like that as well for me in the essence that, you know, he's someone who struggled with addiction and struggled with for all this other stuff. And you could tell he still was struggling for sure. I saw a lot of myself in him and I'm like, I, you could tell watching the reservations and, and all this other stuff, like he, he still had that. But why I bring him up is because like, I could say this with confidence because he recounted it a lot, but also because I had that experience. I was on the road, I was traveling, and I was like, uh, basically, like for like two years, kind of like retired in a way. And you know, like people talk to you, like, "Oh man, you're living the dream. You're living the dream. This is amazing." And it was really fun, but also like it didn't fill that void. It's still there, and that was really hard because like even at my height, like I always was just like, "Oh, I want to just like make a bunch of money." And then just retire and just do whatever. And I basically accomplished that for like two years. I got a taste, you know, my mid late 20s. Like I got to basically taste what that was like. And I was just like, this is not good. Like it was fun for a while. But after like a year, year and a half of doing it, I'm like, I'm bored. And I spent like a month in the Keys and I was down in Key West and I was talking with all these retirees, people that were millionaires. And like a lot of these people were just at these neighborhood bars. And they were there every day. I got to go there and be like, oh, that's Phil. And he's just at the same chair. And like he had a routine. And a lot of them were like that. And I would talk to the bartenders. A lot of the bartenders in Key West were world travelers. And, you know, they've been all over the world. They bartended in Berlin or this and that. And you start talking about like, how are people here different than wherever else you've been? And they're like, people here are sad. They're sadder than most because they have, they know they have no reason to be sad. I was like, wow. And so then I would start talking with these people. And everyone was really curious, like, who are you? Like, you're young as shit. What are you doing? Are you a trust fund kid or what? And I was just like, no, I had a business. I did this thing. And they're like, cool. And I would talk to them and they would all tell me the same thing in their own way. Like, a lot of them is I worked my entire life to get to this point. I sacrificed everything. My golden years, like I spent grinding. And a lot of these people, their family don't even want anything to do with them because they put their family on the back burner. And some of them, they're just down there and retired and they have no purpose and they are absolutely miserable and they're even more miserable because they know they have no reason to be in a way like that's the most demoralized I think you can be like if you're struggling with poverty or any sort of thing and you have something to rage against like there's a way out there's something to run towards but when you have arrived and there is no destination in sight and you are present and you're not content with yourself and you don't have your mind right, it is the worst kind of depression and demoralization because there is nothing to blame. There's nothing to rage after. There's nothing to cling to, to run towards. And that's why I think of a lot of people that retire, like end up dying pretty soon after because they just lose any sense of caring. They don't take care of themselves. And that's the thing I would really, really press about thinking is like, the thing that you are aspiring for might not actually be the thing that you 
want to aspire for. And instead of looking at like these businesses or whatever as like a vehicle to get you to some destination, like how can you just make the business what you really enjoy doing? And that's your sense of purpose. There is no destination to get to. Like you've already arrived, you're here. How can you make this good? Because if you push all that off and you just keep go, 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 go and getting those dopamine highs and just ignoring it, you're going to hit that point where you're at the Bourdain point where you're just like, I've done everything. I have been everywhere. I have achieved everything that I want to achieve and there's nothing left. And that is scary. I got there. I got really close. So when I heard the news about Bourdain, that was not a shocker for me. Everyone was like, I can't believe it. I can't believe that. I'm like, no, I understand. I understand totally. And that is the darkest and grimmest conversation that we just don't acknowledge. And I think that like the way out is through. That seems so demoralizing, but I think that like acknowledging it is the first step. There is a way out and like there is through, you have to go through that hero's journey. You have to go through the darkness and you have to go through that. But if you wait and you just hold off until it's unavoidable, you're not going to be prepared to handle it because everything, both from an adrenal standpoint, physiologically, everything, your body is optimized. That's why so many veterans that come back, why the suicide rate? I mean, I've basically my uncle, family friend, like he he was a recon Marine and my dad was a green beret. I have a lot of people that I know they're in the military. And it's like, when you come back from that, it's like, you're so used to the rush and the high and the, the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And then when you don't have that, it's like, you don't know what to do. It's because it's physiological. Like you just cannot calm down. And like, that's the exact same thing that a lot of entrepreneurs deal with because they're just grinding, 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 next thing, next thing, next thing. They're always on, they're getting that, they're getting that stuff. So when you reach the point when like, you don't have that anymore, you don't know what to do. It's like, you feel like you're crazy and it's because you are because your brain is optimized for this just going going on all cylinders and you don't have that anymore and you have nothing to focus it on and you put all that internally and it's too much i think that's what makes this suicide rate so high among vets entrepreneurs that exit everything else why they, they go through this like crazy parties i mean it's just really crazy so i would just say like you need to prioritize this work now Don't wait until like, you know, you retire or you exit or you do whatever. Like you have to start now because then you might not even want that. You know, you might not even want that. But if you do actually want that and you get there, you're going to be able to handle it. That is a huge, huge part of it that just a lot of people just don't discuss at all. You know, it's crazy because you think about, you know, like Kate Spade, you would think from the outside that everything is wonderful for them and it's fucking not. And, you know, we talk about it when it happens and then it's yesterday's news and then nobody's having the conversations anymore and we're sweeping it under the rug, ain't making it go away. And I think especially what's happening in our world right now, like these are crazy. I hate saying like unprecedented times. Let's just be real. These are crazy fucking times, people. Like things are bananas. So it's really important that we are taking care of ourselves. And I just love this conversation. I hope that you guys listening are really taking it to heart. And it doesn't matter how successful your business is, how much revenue you do. But if you build a business that you don't love, 
or that doesn't support the life you want for yourself, you're still not going to be happy. It's not going to fill that void for you and you're not going to feel successful. It just is like, and we need to be having these conversations. I had some questions specifically tactical wise that I wanted to ask, but we did sort of touch on them already. So I'm going to skip that. But I have one thing that I still want to ask you. And I think it's really important that I am real with my audience and that this online e-commerce space is not all sunshine and rainbows, right? And it's not easy. And you don't throw up a website and do some ads and like tomorrow you're rich. Like that's not real. And we all fail and make mistakes. So you've worked with a lot of businesses. I'd love to hear about a tactic or strategy that you tried that didn't work because I think nobody else is talking about all of our failures and it's important. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. There's not really like a specific tactic that like comes to mind immediately with the thing, the thing that comes to mind immediately actually is more like the overarching kind of viewpoint. So when I first started doing the consulting and wanting to do this kind of holistic, like let's you know turn a freight train around kind of thing, because the first couple of businesses we worked with were companies that scaled really, really fast. And they went from, you know, having like a handful of people to, you know, 50, 60, 70, uh, you know, 100 employees. And a lot of what we did was coming in and being like, okay, how do we turn a freight train around? How do we get this optimized? How do we get this dialed in? How do we make sure they're going in the right direction? And how do we like get all these teams working collaboratively? Well, the next thing was, you know, a colleague of mine was in the VC space. She used to run a VC firm and like she connected me with a couple of startups that just got their seed around. And so now I'm like, huh, how could we kind of reverse engineer this, start backwards and take this framework that we kind of developed through like helping all these businesses kind of course correct to applying that to a startup. So it's like almost like we're implanting this framework and saying, hey, go and like avoid, you know, you can scale and avoid a lot of these bottlenecks. And some of that was really successful, but I think the biggest kind of failure overall was the first brand we worked with on that. We tried to do too much too soon. And we overextended ourselves because like we, we knew what the end goal was. So we were trying to like, you know, do like the baby steps versions of all that. And they were wanting to do that too. So they were like completely down. Like, let's, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do PR. Let's do social. Let's do all this other stuff. All this other stuff. It, it was crazy. And they just didn't have the team or the resources to really execute all of that at once. And I think the second thing with that is that I wasn't, as stern, I guess, with the founder as I think I probably should have been because they started kind of going in certain directions. And I kind of was just like, okay, well, you know, I gave my two cents and, you know, they're either going to take it or not. But I also like had a lot more experience. Like, I think this is because I wasn't thinking it in terms of an advisor. I was thinking about it in like the consultant kind of route. Like my job is just sit here, tell them what I think, and they can take that advice and run with it or they can't. You know, it's almost like a consultation. But what I didn't realize is like, particularly with younger founders, like a lot of what I should be helping them with is like mentoring and like steering them in a direction like, hey, man, I've been down this path. Like, you don't want to do that. And ultimately, like, that's their decision. I can't run their business for them, nor do I want to. But I think I should have really been a lot more adamant 
about steering them away from a couple things. And so that was just me personally, something that I learned. But the strategy, I would say like the takeaway from that is if you're starting out, I would really get all the stuff dialed in. Any channels that you're operating on, like let's say even you're you're established and you're doing quite well, the way that I kind of describe it is blind spots and opportunities. So you have strategic blind spots internally that you need to deal with and the competitor has that as well. And those are your opportunities. But however, the thing to keep in mind is that those blind spots internally are also the opportunities for your competitors. So if you don't get that stuff dialed in, they're going to take advantage of that one way or another. And that's been where some of the biggest probably, you know, that can go into, I'm assuming the next question, which is like, you know, what were the biggest wins or whatever, that's where that comes in. But I would say that you want to get your blind spots covered first, and you really want to try and get your existing channels optimized and then, okay, now let's experiment with the next channel. The the problem is people try to do too much and they just try to tack on more and more things and they don't get their stuff optimized. So they get spread too thin, they get diluted and they start doing this random acts of improvement and their team is running around like chickens with their heads cut off and it's bad. I would say focus on the handful of channels, get it really dialed in, go really deep But I have to pressure you, don't stay on that too long. This is an art form in a way. You want to get everything optimized. You want to get it dialed in. And then you want to start diversifying. You have to have that yin and yang. Because if you don't, and this is what like I think COVID right now has been showing, is people are just like, COVID's destroying my business. It's like, no, COVID is just unveiling what was already there and speeding it up. Hey, you relied entirely on paid social for your growth. That's stupid. Shame on you. Like your competitor who is dealing with the exact same problems you're dealing with right now. But guess what? They diversified and they got, you know, they're on Reddit and they got all this other stuff. They have their email marketing set up and it's dialed in. They have great search and content strategy. So they've got that coming in. They have that diversity. So when they get hit with paid social, which you're both struggling with the same algorithms and issues, guess what? doesn't matter. They have all these other channels. So now if you guys had a gap, well, that just got increased. Or if you were equal, well, now they're ahead of you. That's the biggest thing, I think, is that you need to get everything dialed in and then start expanding and expand slower than probably you want and get it dialed in. So go deep. Don't try to get too diluted. Do you think that there's like an optimal amount of time? Because this is sort of always the struggle, right? I always tell people do one thing really, really good instead of a bunch of things half-ass, right? Because it's going to be so much more powerful, but you can't do the one thing forever. So is there like an optimal amount of time? Like, am I, okay, let me dial into Instagram for three months. Let me spend three months like getting my email really, really good before I move on to the next thing? Or do you think it's different for different businesses? It's entirely dependent on everything. It goes back to like, what are you optimizing for? So think about that in terms of like tactics and strategy. So what does success look like? This is something that I ask every single customer or client, like when I first meet them, I'm just like, hey, all right, what's your goal? And I just want to hear what they say. Because I keep that really open-ended. Like, I, are they either going to tell me what their goal with the business is? They're going to tell me what their goal for the next year is. They're going to tell me like what their goal in life is. Or sometimes they're just like, let's say if it's a referral and they're like, hey, you should talk to Josh about SEO and content strategy or you should talk to Josh about branding. And then they're talking about that specific thing. And they're like, well, my goal with this is, that tells me a lot about what they're thinking about and how and where they're coming from. So that's something interesting to note. The second thing I asked him is like, okay, let's just say, for example, three years from now, 
you are over the moon happy and COVID's not a thing. And like, let's say you're based in Vancouver or LA or whatever. And it's like, I fly out to LA, we're getting coffee and you are just over the moon happy with the work that we've done together. What the hell did I do to make you so happy? And that's a question that I got from Blair Enns and I love it. I'm going to steal that. Go ahead. Steal it. <laughs> it is amazing because there's something about the visualization and it conjures a real visceral reaction and it really makes them think about the question in a way where it's just like, okay, well, you know, what's success on this project? It's like, you're thinking about metrics. You're thinking about whatever. But when you talk about, hey, we're getting coffee three years from now and you are so happy. That's so far ahead that it's making them not think about tactics. It's making them think about like, the overall end goal. And that I think is huge. Ask yourself that like two, three years from now, what would success look like? So uh, to go back to your question, I think the biggest thing is setting up what are you optimizing for and setting some very specific metrics. I would say like, you need some actual OKRs. You need some KPIs. Like you need that. Sure. And that's good. Then the other side of it is more the philosophical. Like what are you actually trying to accomplish? And I think that those are kind of the yin and yang. That's kind of the high and the, and the low and the micro and the macro. And I think you need to ask yourself that and set that for every channel. So for example, if you're like, hey, let's incorporate uh, Reddit into our strategy because we were talking about that earlier. And it's just like, what do we want to do on Reddit? It's like, we want to try and find, we know that our customers are on Reddit. There are people that would love us. And that's the thing. If you don't have a product or service where it's just like, you just need to get in front of the right people and they're going to fall in love with whatever it is that you do. If you don't have that, then you need to go back to the beginning. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? Because you don't have a good enough product. Another question I said is like, what makes your brand cult worthy? Because it makes them think about positioning and everything else. A lot of times founders, they are overwhelmingly good amount of resource for positioning but they are shit at like being able to get it down into like actual words and such, but you could pull it out of them. So any, anyway, if that was the case with Reddit, I would just be like, okay, all right, we know that there are a tremendous amount of people on Reddit that are interested in us. We know that they exist in these different communities. What is the universe on Reddit? What's the spectrum, if you will? Like what's the ecosystem? What's the landscape? That's probably the best word, but what is the landscape of Reddit of our customers, where they exist, where are the overlap, where are they differencing? Okay, now that we have a spreadsheet with all these different subreddits, what kind of content resonates with these people on these different types of subreddits? What would our angle be for communicating with them? And that's not to be insincere. It's to communicate with them in an authentic way. And setting all that up, okay, so your goal basically kind of on the macro is like, you want to develop a real relationship with people on Reddit and start pulling it together and building some brand recognition. Cool. Now, what's a KPI for that? So it's like, do you want to create your own subreddit and start like getting people in there? What kind of, how many people do you want to find? Whatever else. What is your minimum viable dose? You know, what a minimum viable dose of whatever. Is it, you just want your 1000 true fans or is it, do you want this? You want that? I can't tell you that. You got to figure that out. But like set those two things. I think that's like the key thing. Once you hit that, then it's like, okay, we got this process dialed in. Everything's good. All right, let's talk about SEO and content strategy now. I love that. I feel like you and I could just kind of riff forever on all of this <laughs> stuff. And then my audience would be like, okay, this is the longest podcast episode because mine are usually like 20 minutes. So thanks guys for continuing to hang out. It's like the hole in the wall restaurants. Like you mentioned earlier, they always have the best food and it's just like the unexpected thing is my favorite kind of thing. 
There's a podcast I follow and he calls it like a digital speakeasy. And I'm like, I love that. Oh, super cool. You'll have yeah. to tell me what that is. Don't plug it on my podcast though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have to vet it first before I For talk sure. about it. So Josh, where can my audience find you if they want to connect and learn more about you? Yeah. Uh, so our website is purewebresults.com. You can go on there and check us out. Honestly, the best place is just going to be LinkedIn. You can go on there and look up Pure Web Results or look me up, Josh Boone, on there. Shoot me a connect. Shoot me a message to say hi. I like talking to people. I'm super easy to get in contact with. If there's any way that I feel like I could help or be of assistance, like uh, give me a shout. Yeah. He's fun to talk to. And by the way, all those links will be in the show notes. But when I was first contacted about having Josh on the show and, you know, I haven't done any interviews at that point, I was like, oh, I don't really know if I want to, but all right, let me like, let me talk to this guy and see. And it was pretty instantaneous. And I was like, oh, okay, yes, let's chat. Let's do this. So it's worth your time to have a conversation with him at least. So thank you so, so much for being here, Josh. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate the fact that you want to have these kind of conversations, you know, not only with like me and guests, but with yourself and the work that you're doing. It makes me feel really good that like there's like a movement kind of brewing where people are just like, we're sick of this fake Instagram nonsense and all this other, all these posers and stuff. Like we want to talk about stuff that's real. We want to be raw. That's one of the things that like when Joel, who works with us was just like, Hey, this woman, Jessica is like, and, and, and she said, e-commerce badassery. And I'm like, sold. I love it. I love it. So thank you. It's been a yeah. pleasure. This has been really fun. Yeah. And we also dropped a lot of F-bombs on our original call. And so we did connect over that a little bit. So listeners, thank you so much. That's all she wrote for today. Until next time, e-commerce friends, and I'll see you on the flip side. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're looking to surround yourself with more product entrepreneurs who totally get your life right now, get your booty on over to the e-commerce badassery Facebook group. Can't wait to see you there. Until next time, e-commerce friends, stay badass.